Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thank you for joining us here on the program today. Great to have you along for the conversation. I know my coffee cup is full and we have a lot to discuss here on today's program. Coming up, uh, a new report out from Farmers National Company looking at ag land values. Paul Shattig with Farmers National Company is going to join us in segment two for a discussion about that and uh, an update on where things stand. Coming up after the bottom of the hour in segment three, we'll talk with the new chair of the United Soybean Board, Steve Reinhardt from Ohio. He's going to join us to talk about some of his priorities uh, for the year ahead as he takes over as chair of the United Soybean Board. And then coming up at the end of the show, we're going to stay with a focus on soy a little bit. Uh, there is uh, currently a, a trade trip to Southeast Asia put on by Northern Soy Marketing. And uh, one of the uh, farmers on that trip, Eugene Gehring from Nebraska, is uh, going to join the show and give us an update on some of the things they are talking about with folks on that trade mission to Vietnam and other countries in Southeast Asia. So we're looking forward to that conversation coming up here at the end of the program. First up, though, we want to talk about sorghum millets. Joining us for a conversation, Sorghum United CEO, Nate Bloom is with us. And Nate, thanks for joining us on AOA today. Appreciate the time. Jesse, it's an absolute pleasure. And I just want to thank you on behalf of our organization for the impactful uh, work that you do in American agriculture here. Thank you. Well, thank you uh, for the kind words. And uh, and let's dive in here. Uh, there's a few things I wanted to talk about with you today. And first up, uh, let's just talk. I know there's a, a new initiative, an Indo-U.S. millets initiative that we're going to dive into here a little bit. But just set the stage for us. Why are millets and sorghum, why do they have untapped potential here to kind of uh, strengthen food security and, and whatnot here for U.S. Uh, farmers, et cetera? Just kind of set the stage for us of what we're looking at right now amongst millets and sorghum. Well, the first thing I like to uh, to share with folks is I'm a farm kid and I recognize the importance of all crops, right? So uh, we're promoting sorghum and millets, but that's not at the expense of, say, corn and soybeans and wheat, et cetera. Uh, what we're really interested in is uh, diversification, uh, both in cropping systems as well as economically uh, for farmers to tap into. So to your question, why do sorghum and millets have untapped potential? Well, let's back up for a second. Uh, the first thing I like to tell people is there is no such thing as millets, even though we're actually just wrapping up the International Year of Millets at the United Nations. And so what do I mean when I say that? Is that millets are, is actually a catch-all term that was given uh, to a variety of small grains, different species of grains uh, that were commonly grown in places like Africa and India, um, where the climate was more arid. And uh, the European colonial powers didn't recognize what these grains were, and so they put them in a catch-all called millets. So mm -hmm. that said, uh, millets and, and sorghum in most of the world is considered a major millet, so we're just going to lump it in there. Uh, but these are amongst the first grains that were cultivated by mankind. And so what okay. that means is that they're highly nutritive. The gut microbiome is actually naturally predisposed uh, to, uh, to becoming healthier when they're included in the diet. 
Um, and we know that through research that's been published in the journal Nature uh, from the Food for Health Center in particular. And there's a ton of other research on the health benefits we could talk about later as, as well. What does it mean for American farmers, though, if we can grow value-added markets for sorghum? Well, presently, sorghum uh, in the U.S. Uh, is primarily sent to China. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. they buy the Chinese buy 93% of U.S. sorghum. They buy 80% of the world's supply of sorghum. And what that means is you've got a commodity market that is largely driven by one player, and that doesn't always uh, provide the highest value to farmers here, especially in places like Nebraska, uh, where in the, we're in the middle of the country and we can't capture the premium you can get when you're proximate to a port. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do both in the U.S. as well as other places around the world that are geographically central and pre and uh, these grains are, production is, is available there is, um, is to provide uh, opportunities for value added processing proximate to the grains. Okay. And so that's where farmers, if you are able to get a, a portion of your cropping system under contract with a local processor, you can mitigate the commodity marketing risk that you're finding in your other crops. And so that's what we're trying to do. And Nebraska is geographically central to the U.S., but you could do this. You could say the same in Uganda or, uh, you know, parts of India, you know, things like that. Well, talk about some of the goals of this Indo-U.S. Uh, Millets Initiative. Uh, tell us a little more about what this is. Uh, I, I want to make sure folks understand this here. Uh, we got a few more minutes of this segment. Give us uh, give us some details uh, on this initiative. Right. So the Indo-U.S. Millets Initiative uh, really does two things. It uh, continues the important conversation of the International Year of Millets beyond the International Year, or what we're, our organization is calling the IYM Plus One. Um, so that's the first thing it does. The second thing it does is it, through private sector, and we're an NGO, we're a non-governmental, apolitical organization, no taxpayer dollars go into what we do. Well, what, what it allows us to do is to build stronger relationships between us uh, here in the U.S., like-minded organizations here in the U.S., and like-minded organizations in India. And that will be important in facilitating additional opportunities for trade, uh, facilitating opportunities for intergovernmental interactions, and all these other things. So it really does a couple of things. We're really pleased to uh, be a part of that. Uh, our signature our signature, uh, signature partners uh, right now include the North American Millets Alliance, the University of Nebraska, the Dougherty Water for Food Global Institute, and the India Millets, uh, Millet Initiative. And I'll actually be heading to India a week from today. I'll be in Goa, uh, sunny mm -hmm. and warm Goa, <laughs> uh, as I have a blizzard out here behind me. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to be bringing on more partners while I'm over there as well. So look for, uh, we're doing a conference right now, actually already scheduled in Lucknow, uh, India on the 2nd of February. That'll be available uh, via Zoom and we'll record that as well because it'll be middle of the night here back home. Uh, so people can check into that as well. You can find it on uh, Sign Up Genius. Just look for um, uh, Indo-US Millets Initiative. Sure. Well, Nate, uh, good stuff here. And again, as we look at the International Year of the Millet and all the work that you do with Sorghum United, how can folks stay up to date with things that are going on in, in your travels and the work that you're doing? I'm sure uh, online, sorghumunited.com, probably a great place to start, isn't it? Yeah, sorghumunited.com. Um, we also have a series of children's books that we uh, we uh, sell as part of our education and outreach effort. Those are sorgosquad.com. Um, so you can check those out. We're all over the social media, so you can find us just about anywhere there. 
Um, and then we have a global WhatsApp group. So if you actually want to become part of the, our, our growing network, which we have hundreds of members on every continent, except for Antarctica, uh, you know, feel free to join that as well. So uh, we've got a lot of great things in store here for 2024. And uh, I, I can't even, we don't have enough time to get into all of those things. Uh, so, so stay tuned, stay plugged in and, uh, you know, become part of the, part of the movement. Well, uh, we'll have to get you back on AOA again soon for a, a longer conversation and an update on some of the work you're doing uh, with Sorghum United. And again, folks, you learn more, sorghumunited.com. With that, the CEO of Sorghum United, Nate Bloom, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Jesse, an absolute pleasure. Thank you again. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at a new land values report from Farmers National Company. Paul Shattig with Farmers National Company joins us next here on AOA. On the January episode of the Monthly Grind, we talk about the relationship between the U.S. Grains Council and the NCGA with Denny Vitaconner from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman from the Grains Council. Our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in making that happen. We do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in trade policy efforts domestically and, of course, demand building, too. You know, they can't go to the Hill and lobby like for more funding for MAP and F and D. And that's where we come in. That's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds. Or if there's a policy or a trade barrier in another country that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers, we start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments. And ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength 
to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at v.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, of course, we continue to keep our eyes on land values and uh, what the cost of our ag land is across the country. And a new report out from Farmers National Company is uh, taking a look at some of these land values and uh, wanted to talk about this. So uh, we put in a call to Paul Shattig with Farmers National Company to join us back on AOA and discuss. Paul, great to have you on the show today. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Glad to be here anytime. Well, let's dive into this. And uh, the headline I saw for this new report, 2024 brings a resilient ag land market. So talk about that a little bit. Let's just start broadly. Uh, what are you guys seeing in terms of land values here? Give us an update, Paul. Yeah, Jesse, as as we've gone through the last six months, the, the word that kept came, coming to mind for me was resiliency because in spite of all the headwinds that we're experiencing with some declining commodity markets and interest rate pressures and uh, potential net income, uh, farm net income issues, the, the land market has, has pretty well hold, held its own. When we look across the Midwest, uh, we do see some of those uh, high quality farms still bring in a premium. But overall, things have kind of settled to a new normal, and you know we look we're kind of looking forward to unless something drastic changes, that'll probably continue as we get into 2024. Well, Paul, I know uh, we just uh, we had a conversation with you here a few weeks ago, and uh, looking at some of this new data, uh, an update as well. Anything changing as far as who the buyers are? Is it still mainly local farmer operators or are we seeing other folks step into the ag land market right now? Yeah, not much has changed when we look at uh, who those buyers are, who the successful buyer of that land. And as you and I've talked before, one reason that, that uh, some of these values are maintaining the levels that, that they've run up to the last few years is that we've got people in the background, these investors and investment funds and individual land investors that are still very motivated to get in that market. And so they're they're definitely holding that floor. But those uh, those local operators are the ones that have the highest level of motivation to add to their operation uh, or buy a piece of land that has adjoined them and hasn't come up for sale for a long time. So it it definitely is remaining those uh, about se over 70 percent of the time. The local farmer operator is the buyer. Uh, Paul, what are some of the dynamics that uh, you guys are looking at here as we get into 2024 that could affect land values? I know you brought up commodity prices, and I would have to imagine that input costs, things like that, probably going to be some of the uh, some of the effects here this year. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that is those are those factors are definitely on our our radar, especially right now where we've we've kind of had a hiccup in in commodity markets. You know, that's a uh, a main driver in in uh, land values, but we're also looking at some of the data that's coming out from the the Fed reports that show you know this increase in lending, which 
which kind of uh, creates some additional uh, expense for a buyer mm -hmm. because now they've got a higher interest expense than what they may have had the last couple of years. And then uh, input costs have, have kind of been uh, shuffling downward a little bit. There's still some that input costs that are going up, some seed costs that, that have seen some increases, but overall fertilizer and fuel have, have dropped a little bit. So that's going to help uh, create a, a better net income picture. But then the one thing that, that did come out here in the last week was a report from the Fed talking about how they foresee a softening of the farm economy as we move into 2024. Mm -hmm. And that's something we'll really have to watch. And then on the outside of everything, those geopolitical events and uh, potentially uh, the environmental with, uh, with some potential drought or or uh, rainfall issues and uh, really want to put, once we put all that together, you know, we'll, we'll be a lot smarter as we get three mm -hmm. or four months down the road, but, uh, but yeah, definitely things we want to watch closely. Paul, another thought here, and uh, I'm not sure how much you guys looked at this uh, in your report and um, maybe we could talk about it a little bit at least, uh, we got a lot of talk across the country and in D.C. about foreign ownership of ag land and farmland here in the U.S. Is is that something, is that conversation something that you foresee could have uh, an impact either positively or negatively on farmland values here this year? Well, certainly, Jesse, that is a hot topic at any landowner meeting we go to and uh, get that question asked a lot. The, the fact of the matter is that it's such a small segment of the, the ag land market. And when I, when I mean by the actual foreign ownership of land, uh, but then there are states that have, you know, made this more of an issue by implementing either a ban on, on the, uh, the foreign ownership of land or taking into account that you can't, a foreign person can't buy land within 10 miles of a, of a, uh, facility, uh, a, a military facility or, or things like that. And so there, it's definitely a, a hot topic. It does not have uh, much impact on values. Uh, there's, it's, it's more of a, a point of discussion and, you know, the, the American people in general don't want the land owned by someone who's not an American. So I think that's, that's where we're hearing more about it than what it's going to be an impact in values. Okay. All right. We're talking with Paul Shaddock, senior vice president of real estate operations for farmers national company. Paul, I know as well, you guys uh, just released a, a regional land value report coupled with uh, your, uh, your full kind of nationwide report here. When you look regionally, uh, was there any big theme? Was there any segment of the country that maybe stood out a little bit more with a with a headline, so to speak, in terms of land values? Talk about the uh, the regional report a little bit for us as well. Now, when we look at that as a whole, uh, it's it's pretty pretty much the same when we average everything across the board. That uh, those land values are maintaining maintaining the values that were set uh, over the past several years, um, maybe somewhat of a settling to a new normal level. But when I look at the individual regional reports, the we've seen some great success out in Indiana and Illinois, uh, 
high quality ground out there that is bringing a premium. And of course, Iowa is always in the mix with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of those, those uh, better quality farms, still a lot of competition for them and it's driven those values up probably what we'd consider above current market value. And then, uh, you know, there we've had some uh, interesting areas, uh, Northwest Missouri, uh, typically doesn't see a lot of land sales and we've had quite a few in the last six months and those sales have brought a premium. I think a couple things play into that. One being that uh, a lot of that land hasn't been offered for sale in many, many years. And that's an area where uh, operators have done quite well the last three to five years production wise, and uh, they're ready to expand an operation and take advantage of a a piece of land that hasn't been hasn't come up for sale in a while. So uh, those, if we have to sort out any uh, any real hot spots, uh, those would be where I would concentrate. And then on the flip side of that, when we go farther out west, where they've been in drought and they've experienced some production struggles, those were starting to see some uh, some declining values. Nothing major, but but definitely stepping back and saying, hey, I think we're we're paying too much unless we can break ourselves out of this uh, weather cycle. Well, Paul, let's uh, wrap it up here before we run out of time in this segment as we move into 2024, Farmers National Company. I wonder if uh, pipeline filling up, do we have a lot of land auctions and listings already out there as we uh, start the early part of the year? Yeah, I've done a spent a lot of time analyzing, you know, what what we're doing as a company and and what where we are in comparison to five and ten year averages, and we're we're pretty encouraged because what we saw what we've seen the last six months is definitely above our five year average, and we've kind of we had somewhat of a slow year a year ago, and then uh, that has has definitely recovered. We're back up on volume and also on on value. So we're, we're encouraged that uh, there's going to be some pretty good momentum going into 2024 to, again, maintain. We don't see any, any uh, sharp increases in value, but I think we're, we're set to maintain some values uh, as long as we don't have any, any big uh, bumps in the road that, that slow that down. I'm sure folks want to take a look at the full report. FarmersNational.com is a, a great place to find that report, isn't it, Paul? Yep, that's the the best place to find it, and uh, also you'll find uh, other comments and and news events uh, on the website. Also, FarmersNational.com. And with that, we appreciate the conversation with Paul Shadag or Paul Shadag, Senior Vice President of Real Estate Operations, Farmers National Company. Paul, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Appreciate the time. You bet, Jesse. Thank you. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to talk with the new chair of the United Soybean Board, Steve Reinhardt. That's next here on AOA. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, 
veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. The grains and oil seeds are mixed to mostly higher, but hovering around unchanged this morning. That's ahead of today's USDA January WASD report. This is a big day for the commodities. USDA is making its biggest data dump of the year for the food-based commodities at 11 a.m. this morning central time. Key data will include revisions to U.S. 2023 corn and soybean production estimates, revisions to South American production estimates, December 1st quarterly grain stock survey results, USDA's winter wheat seeding survey results, and updates to USDA's domestic and global balance sheets. Now, we could possibly see USDA surprise the trade with a cut in U.S. soybean exports. That would be due to the slow pace of shipments as our peak export season comes to a close, while also the agency could increase ethanol demand for corn. Now, this report will set the tone leading up to USDA's March 28th planting intention survey results release. Now overnight, the United States joined forces with the United Kingdom to strike back at the Houthi rebels in Yemen. They hit more than a dozen strategic locations from which the Houthi rebels launched attacks on ships in the Red Sea, while also coordinating more than 130 attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East over the past several months since war broke out in the Gaza Strip. The United States struck 60 targets at 16 different sites in Yemen. Some of those sites included command and control nodes, munitions depots, launching systems, production facilities, and air defense radar systems. Now, the Houthi rebels, they are believed to be supported by Iran, which have stated that their strikes on U.S. forces and on ships in the Red Sea are in defense of Hamas in the Gaza Strip, and they have vowed revenge against the United States. Now, the sense is that this is all part of the escalation that could result in a spread of the Middle East war, which could eventually reach the point of negatively impacting crude oil output from the Middle East. And so Wall Street added more risk premium to crude prices, while stocks priced in just a bit more risk for the economy from that escalation. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. We are the nation's largest integrated health care system providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand-in-hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for sticking with us here today. Well, let's flip the conversation over to soybeans. And joining us now on the program, the newly elected chair of the United Soybean Board, Steve Reinhard from Ohio is with us. Steve, thanks for joining us on AOA today. Hope you're doing well. Uh, doing well, Jesse. Uh, thanks for having me. 
Well, Steve, uh, let's start. Uh, tell us a little bit about your farm and your your background, your operation there in Ohio. And uh, I know you have uh, uh, quite a bit of experience with the United Soybean Board. Uh, can you give us just a little uh, background on your operation and and your role up to uh, up to now with uh, USB? Uh, sure thing. Uh, on our uh, farm there in Ohio, uh, we raise uh, soybeans, corn, uh, malting barley. Uh, wheat and a little bit of hay. Uh, so we have uh, uh, quite a bit going on uh, all throughout the course of the year. And uh, it's uh, uh, pretty interesting that uh, we had a really good uh, harvest this fall and uh, actually through the summer uh, months too with the uh, barley and the wheat. And uh, so it's been a pretty good uh, year there in Ohio. Uh, previously on uh, United Soybean Board, I served as treasurer uh, and vice president. Uh, when you're vice president, you oversee the value alignment committee, and uh, that committee is responsible for the direction of our annual uh, checkoff investments and uh, building those uh, portfolios. So, uh, pretty uh, a good uh, uh, vision of how uh, you know we're working to get the uh, return on investments back to our farmers through their checkoff dollars. And uh, I've also done that with the Ohio Soybean Council, where I served as chair. And, uh, uh, you know, just uh, a really good uh, uh, time there. And then uh, we started the Arable Research Lab also, which, uh, again, looks at u- new uses for uh, specifically oil uh, uh, products can be ma- made out of soybean oil. And uh, along with my brother there uh, on the farm, I also served as a, an ag educator and an FFA advisor. And, um served as a county commissioner, and then even uh, spent some time in the Ohio House of Representatives. Well, you have a lot of extensive experience uh, by the sound of it, Steve. And I I have to think that that's got to help shape some of your uh, priorities uh, for your term as the chair of the United Soybean Board here this upcoming year. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, Lay it out for us. What are some of your top priorities here for your term as uh, chair of the United Soybean Board this year? Uh, sure. So as you know, we, we like to, uh, our vision is to deliver a sustainable soy solution to every life every day. And, and that's what we continue to strive for and, and building that, again, that checkoff uh, value back to the farmers, that $12.34 for every dollar that we invest uh, coming back to the farmers. But I think a, another big priority uh, beyond our, our investment portfolio this year is we're going to kick off the uh, transition of our new CEO, uh, Lucas Lynch, uh, came to us from the dairy industry, and uh, he shares that American ag has, you know, never been stronger, and with soy playing a vital role uh, and a proven role across all sectors, um, be it in the animal agriculture, you know, food supply chains and advancing energy independence, uh, you know, he's ready to to jump in there and uh, help guide our organization and onto our uh, uh, continuing investment portfolio projects. And uh, then again, some of those projects we're going to look at is continuing to look at our imp- infrastructure and how can we continue to to keep it a viable uh, tool to move our soybeans and our other commodities, really, for that matter, across uh, uh, the country and to get them to export uh, facilities or get them to, uh, um, you know, crush plants here in, in the United States for domestic use. And uh, again, we continue to look at new new uses, and we have over a thousand different soybean-based uh, products today on the market, and that's all a lot of uh, thanks to the R&D efforts uh, by the soybean checkoff. And biofuels just continue to be a bigger uh, player, and uh, 
really driving the uh, the oil industry uh, right now in uh, uh, the soybean sector. But that uh, creates a great uh, story for our animal uh, uh, friends as well, because then we have mm-hmm. more meal uh, for them, and and uh, we know that by including more soybean meal in those rations, especially early in pigs, broilers, and laying hens, it uh, really pays dividends uh, on their production as well. Well, Steve, uh, you brought up uh, crush, and you know uh, we're seeing a rapid expansion of crush, and you mentioned meal as well, and it really feels like in the soy industry, you kind of alluded to this finding new avenues for soybean use here in the U.S. It feels like uh, things are shifting a little bit in, in how we grow and use soybeans. So talk about some of that domestic demand uh, a little bit more. Your thoughts as we kind of shift things a little bit and, and see that expansion of soy crush and the use of meal for animal feed and more. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. So as we look at uh, soybean crush, we're, uh, you know, of course, getting the meal and the oil out of that uh, that process and that uh, oil, a lot of it is being used in the biofuel industry, and uh, we know traditional bio-based uh, uh, diesel fuel is uh, a, a market we're going to continue to have. But uh, as we look uh, forward, I think renewable diesel will continue to, to grow and, and be a bigger factor as well. But we think we have a good uh, path for that, and then uh, sustainable aviation fuel is right around the corner uh, as well, and that's going to be a big uh, user of uh our bio-based uh, uh, products as well. So then we have the meal uh, left over, and uh, we know that uh, through our research that if we use a higher uh, concentration of uh, soybean meal in those diets, especially in pigs and uh, uh, broilers at an early age, we get a better yield uh, from them as well. So that's uh, also helping us on the domestic side. And then uh, we look at the other new uses and uh, uh, oil, uh, you know, I, I told a story yesterday to a, a person that, you know, we can feed that meal to our pigs. Uh, we can get them on the trailer ready for market, uh, jump in that uh, Ford pickup with soybean oil in the foam of the seats, the tires that are, you know, we're driving the truck on uh, made by uh, Goodyear. I can wear my Skechers tennis shoes with that same technology in the soles of the shoe, uh, get onto that uh, gravel road that's been treated with a soybean dust repellent. Uh, type mm-hmm. product or suppression product, and and I can even pull onto the highway, which is uh, possibly made with uh, asphalt, uh, which contains soybean oil. Steve, uh, how about international markets and exports and some of that market development? Uh, what are some priorities there for you and the United Soybean Board here this year? Sure. So we're, we want to continue to to drive that demand. Uh, we know that we have a sustainable product, and one of the uh, things we're working on now is the farmers versus uh, soil health, which is a sustainability uh, measure, and it's a way that we can put a sustainability label on the products that we uh, raise. And uh, we know even in uh, our overseas markets, a lot of people are starting to stress the uh, need uh, that they they want to provide or they want something provided to them that's been produced in a sustainable way. And that's why we've worked with our export. Uh, People, the United uh, Soybean Export Council, and and uh, we've developed that uh, sustainability uh, assurance protocol certificate. And we know that 60% of our exports uh, going out of the U.S. in 2022 uh, contain that uh, certificate uh, program. We continue to look at aquaculture. 
uh, although aquaculture is not uh, uses does not use a huge amount of meal, uh, it's still being able to provide uh, uh, nutrition uh, to a lot of people in in uh, Asian countries and. And uh, even in the Asian countries, when they feed that uh, sustainably produced soybean uh, from the United States, uh, they're able to sell that product sometimes at a premium, which then uh, helps their economies as well. And we know that mm-hmm. when people are, are nourished and, and uh, they don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from, it uh, creates a better environment worldwide uh, for, for all of us concerned. Well, Steve, we're about out of time. Appreciate the conversation and uh, an update uh, from you as chair of the United Soybean Board. And I should ask as we wrap it up here, uh, for you in the year ahead, any anything as far as misconceptions maybe about the soy checkoff? That We know there's been some attacks out there against checkoffs as a whole in agriculture. Is there any you know myths you need to look at dispelling there as a priority or on the flip side, uh, are there any, you know, positive stories that you want to continue to tell here uh, about what's going on with the soy checkoff? I'll, I'll kind of leave that open-ended for you here for a final question. Sure. I think our uh, our story, basically, uh, every five years we have to do a, a study, and that's uh, demanded by the, United, the USDA uh, to see what the, the result of the checkoff has been. Uh, so we're, uh, we've done our last uh, study, and that was done by a third-party uh, uh, group and they came back for every dollar that we've invested in the checkoff. Uh, the farmers have received twelve dollars and thirty four cents back in value, and and that's uh, just a great story I think to tell that that uh, you know we look at uh, how we're going to invest these uh, projects and and uh, they can only be in uh, things really that are going to produce uh, value back uh, to the farmers. And it's a it's a, the checkoff is a farmer driven program. Uh, paid for by farmers, administered by farmers for the benefit of farmers. So, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's really been a, a good model. And and I think that uh, when we do our next study here uh, in the next year or so, I think that uh, we'll, we'll probably even see maybe better benefits than we did in this one. Steve, appreciate the conversation and the uh, thoughts there. Really, uh, thank you for the time. And we'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks for joining us today on AOA. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Jesse. Steve Reinhardt, the chair of the United Soybean Board from Ohio. You can uh, learn more as well and stay up to date on projects that the United Soybean Board is working on, unitedsoybean.org. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we are going to talk with Eugene Gearing. He is on a trade trip to Vietnam. He's a Nebraska farmer, and he's with Northern Soy Marketing. We'll talk to him on the way next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, 
even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking to Lance Kennington, an animal nutrition specialist with CHS, about bull management. Lance, what is an optimal body score condition target producers should aim for in reconditioning bulls? Bulls should be at least in a body condition score of five and preferably a six at breeding time. And this will ensure that they will be able to pass a breeding soundness exam as well as have enough energy reserves to get them through the breeding season. Bulls that are too thin or too fat have a tough time breeding cows. What should producers consider when developing a bull nutrition program? Yeah, the first thing, ensure that you're using good quality forages that are free of mold. Molds can produce mycotoxins that can interfere with uh, reproductive health. The second thing, be careful to formulate the diet to meet the bull's energy, protein, vitamin, and mineral requirements. Third thing, bulls need a clean, fresh water source. And the fourth thing, limit the amount of starch being fed by using high-quality forages and highly digestible fiber sources like corn co-products, wheat mids, soy holes, those kind of things. The fifth thing, research has shown that omega-3 fatty acids from flax oil can improve semen quality and quantity and improve reproductive rates. So consider adding that to your program using flax slick tubs from New Generation Feeds or Payback Power Booster. Research has also shown that organically complex zinc, copper, manganese, and cobalt from Zimpro Performance Minerals will improve semen quality and quantity. In winter, bulls need to be provided with protection from the wind and bedding to protect themselves from frostbite, so be prepared to provide that. Well, we've been talking to Lance Kennington, an animal nutrition specialist with CHS. Lance, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. 
If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now, Eugene Gehring. He is with the Nebraska Soybean Board, and he is a director for Northern Soy Marketing. And currently, he is overseas in Vietnam as a delegation is headed over to Southeast Asia here for Northern Soy Marketing. And he's joining us right now to tell us more about what is going on in Southeast Asia on this trip. And Eugene, first off, thanks so much for joining us here today. How are things in Vietnam right now? You know, this is my first travel here, and it's really exciting to see. It's a young population. It's a growing population. They're very energetic and very excited to uh, improve their uh, soy use in this country. Well, let's talk about that a little bit uh, with this trip for Northern Soy Marketing and and looking at uh, improving their soy use in the country. Uh, highlight some of the uh, some of the things that you guys have been working on and seen during this trip so far. Well, we visited with uh, uh, different companies here that are crushers and makers of, of feed and food processing, and Northern Soy Marketing. Our goal is to um, educate the uh, buyers here so they understand the value of our soy that's uh, higher in amino acids and, and ha might have a blend that will work better for them. Um, we're educating about the transportation systems out of the Pacific Northwest and the rail from the Midwest. Uh, we're educating about the reliability and sustainability of our product. And uh, we want them to understand that we have a, a product that should be very beneficial to them. And it should be beneficial to us to make additional connections to market more meal and more soy. Well, and thinking about Vietnam's agriculture economy, I know, I believe they're the sixth largest pork producer, fourth largest aquaculture producer. Uh, there's, and, and I think, 13th largest soy consumer. So there's a, a lot of opportunity here for U.S. Uh, soybeans to make their way over to Vietnam, isn't there? Yeah, they, they're a large importer, and, and today we visited with uh, shippers and, and uh, people that move the beans from here to there. Uh, we also are um, explaining to them that the crush is growing rapidly in the U.S. And from Nebraska, we're adding two new crush plants, possibly a third crush plant. As we add these crush plants, that gives us oil for the sustainable aviation fuels and for the biodiesel and, and uh, renewable diesel. So we're using the oil within the United States. The soybean meal has to find a home. And as we, I've heard that the U.S. crush is going to increase by 25%. With domestic use, that means we need to find foreign markets for about 50% more meal than we're currently exporting. So we're actively seeking uh, markets that will uh, 
be able to utilize this crushed meal that we're producing. Well, and I think when uh, looking for those markets and and building those relationships, it's important to uh, take trips like this, isn't it, Eugene, to kind of shake hands and have a face-to-face conversation with folks so they they better understand the high-quality soybeans that we're providing uh, here from the U.S., isn't it? Yeah, you know, they, they we get to uh, put on demonstrations and, and uh, we present video and show slides from home and, and we're constantly trying to put a face to the sustainability, the reliability of our farms. We uh, share pictures of our farms and our combines and our planting and harvesting. And uh, we're trying to see that, that we do have a good quality, that we do have a sustainable system. And, and we, I see the people ask questions of us and, and it, it's apparently that we're making connections that I hope will be very beneficial to the U.S. soy farmers. When you talk with folks on this trip here uh, throughout Southeast Asia, do you hear any misconceptions in terms of soybean production in the U.S. and any myths that you guys have to maybe dispel a little bit on these trips? A lot of the buyers are familiar with soy. We're just trying to point out the benefits of the U.S. soy. Not a lot of myths, but we're trying to get conceptions straight. You know, the United States is a big country, and, and we're trying to – uh, emphasize the logistics of the rail to the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest. That's the main route that they're using. They're asking us questions about transportation around the world because of the uh, conflicts through the Suez Canal now. They're concerned about that. The water shortages in the Panama Canal are questions. So they're asking us questions, and uh, we're trying to uh, make them feel confident that, that the Pacific Northwest and, and the northern soy should be a reliable supply that, that would fit their needs. On the uh, opposite end of that spectrum, Eugene, uh, I'm sure uh, hearing probably some good things as well from uh, these potential buyers in uh, in Vietnam and uh, Cambodia. I know you guys are good to, uh, or have been in Cambodia as well. I mean, talk about that a little bit. I'm sure there's, uh, with a lot of those questions, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good things that you hear as well, isn't there? Oh, yeah. They're, you know, they this part of the world, they're rapidly growing populations. They're rapidly growing populations of young people. And as their incomes come up, they want to consume a better diet. So the meat is growing. Uh, the other thing that's happening is uh, Vietnam, with their aquaculture, is exporting aquaculture back to areas like uh, of the, uh, Japan, the Philippines, and Korea. And so one other thing that we're learning is uh, the USAC people are here and they're uh, explaining the certification that they can put U.S. soy foods and have a quality product that they can sell to to help them sell uh, food products throughout the world. If it goes into other uh, places, they want to be able to have sustainable soy on their uh, label. So we're explaining some of the benefits that USEC and, and uh, the Northern Soy Marketing can provide to uh, help them help their businesses grow. Well, really uh, great stuff, and uh, again, uh, I hope you uh, you all enjoy your trip and have safe travels back home as you wrap up your trip to Southeast Asia with Northern Soy Marketing. Eugene, thanks for joining us here on the program today and giving us an update. We appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking again soon. Okay, well, I hope that uh, all goes well with you and, and uh, soybean farmers can get through this cold weather and be ready for spring planting. Thanks. 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. Thank you as well. Eugene Gehring, Nebraska soybean farmer from Columbus, Nebraska, a director for Northern Soy Marketing. He's also a member of the Nebraska Soybean Board, joining us on the phone from Vietnam. Northern Soy Marketing has their delegation over in Southeast Asia, and they should be returning home sometime next week. Well, we're out of time on this episode of AOA. Coming up on our next program, we'll recap the big USDA January reports. We'll also talk to Christine McDaniel from the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. On the January episode of the Monthly Grind, we talk about the relationship between the U.S. Grains Council and the NCGA with Denny Vitaconner from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman from the Grains Council. Our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in making that happen. We do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in trade policy efforts domestically and, of course, demand building, too. You know, they can't go to the Hill and lobby like for more funding for MAP and F and Beef. And that's where we come in. That's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds. Or if there's a policy or a trade barrier in another country that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers, we start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Prediabetes Awareness Partners.